Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Clarity, insight, and wisdom are three qualities I feel this week's Jewelry Navigator podcast guest exhibits naturally. Tanya Powell is founder and creative initiator of Peror, a collection of thoughtfully designed jewelry for women who define themselves with confidence and reach beyond limitations. Tanya's former career as an engineer at a Fortune 500 company prepared her for establishing a stable foundation on which to grow her jewelry company with strategic foresight. The design elements for her signature collections are versatile and appeal across multiple age and interest demographics. I'm excited to share Tanya's story with you today. And if you happen to be in the Washington DC metro area, the second weekend of December, it actually would be the first full weekend, you can see and shop her jewelry firsthand at Holiday Sugarloaf Crafts Festival in Chantilly, Virginia. And that's December 6th through 8th. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know you have a choice in podcasts and truly appreciate you tuning in every week. If you haven't subscribed yet, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can catch all the stories and latest jewelry news here on Jewelry Navigator Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today and welcome aboard. All right, well, let's get started. And what I usually like to do is start you know, with a general summary of your history. And um, what I'll tell the listeners now is Tanya and I talked, visited for a few minutes about a week ago. And I was really excited to hear her story because it really resonates with a lot of the purpose and drive behind Jewelry Navigator, which is encouraging and supporting not only emerging designers, but people outside of the trade initially to encourage women and men, but mostly women to explore a passion or revisit something that was from their past and develop it into whether it's going to be a hobby or a business. So I was really excited to hear that a lot of her story resonates with that whole purpose. So I'm going to let Tanya take this away and share the beginnings of her story and what inspired her to start Parure. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Brenna. I appreciate that um, introduction. 
So I um, started jewelry as more of a hobby, um, and actually it started with me breaking a, a piece of jewelry that could not be replaced um, and wanting to repair it. And from there I um, learned a little bit about um, making jewelry and um, became more and more interested in the process. Um, particularly how the process um, worked well with my background as an engineer. So at the time that I started making jewelry, I was working in a Fortune 500 company as a software. I started as a software engineer and moved into management and product strategy. Um, and as I was do making um, those moves in the corporate environment, I was building my jewelry skills. And as those two things started to grow together, I realized there was a really nice fit in terms of leveraging my creativity um, in my engineering work as well as leveraging my engineering in the construction of jewelry. Um, and I actually felt like the fit of those two skills was uh, more appreciated um, in the jewelry environment simply because at the time that I started in engineering, it, it, it was and, and still is to a significant extent a heavily male-dominated environment. Mm -hmm. um, so I, as my passion grew, um, I decided this might be something that I'd want to do as a second career um, and started, plan started thinking about what that would mean to run it as a business um, and leverage some of the skills that I had built in the corporate environment to do that and spent about five years planning for my departure from the corporate environment and um, I left three years ago um, and have been working jewelry full-time since then. Okay, that's wonderful. You took some of the skills that you, you grew and learned in the corporate environment as, as an engineer. What would you say some of those skills, um, which ones were the most easiest to transfer over to your business as it is today, besides understanding how um, the components of jewelry go together? Um, the client side of the business. So um, when I became responsible for product strategy in the corporate arena, that meant that I, was, I had a particular feature of one of our product solutions, and I was responsible for engaging with customers to understand how they were using it, which oftentimes wasn't necessarily the way we intended for them to use it, um, but also understanding what their needs were and what their business challenges were. And it was that piece of understanding what their needs were that um, became a, a huge influence in what I was doing relative to my jewelry business in terms of understanding um, why we buy jewelry, um, what jewelry means to us and how we use it um, as a means of starting to understand, define or select who my client would be and what needs or problems that I would um, help them with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's remarkable. I love hearing how, and maybe you didn't realize this when you 
started to kind of put these things together. But there are so many components from your corporate life that easily are um, really valuable tools that came into using them with your your jewelry design business. So that's just so remarkable and exciting how how that all came together. Yes, it is. So you're absolutely right. I did not initially realize how much I had learned in the corporate world and, and how much of that would be able to help me with my jewelry business. Right, right. Um, I think one thing that you and I touched on the other day was I really appreciate and like how you're strategically growing your collection. If you Mm -hmm. go on to Tanya's website, which is paror.com, and look at her collection, it's very clean and streamlined. First of all, the, the designs are very clean and streamlined, but also she's kept the initial collection to a pretty good minimum. Although she interchanges a lot of the components, it's still a really good foundation to build on so that not only do do her clients not get confused and overwhelmed, but she doesn't either. So she's really able to grow that collection to its fullest extent. And then I'm sure you have some plans in the future to grow in, you know, to new collections, but you're still exploring these ones. Let's talk a little bit about what some of the inspiration was behind, say, your um, your 360, your 360 degree collection is the 360. I just have to ask this, and I posted this. I don't know if you looked yet on Instagram, but I posted this today. Your um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I I, I love I love the jewelry, and then when I looked a little bit more closely and read your full post, it basically summarizes how empowering the message is behind your jewelry, especially when mm-hmm. it comes from where you started and how you've transitioned from your career in the corporate world. But because today is National Donut Day, I kind of took um, <laughs> I took a creative liberty of using your circle shape to kind of mimic a donut. So I celebrated National Donut with your post. It was a few weeks ago, but it's the, um, the lariat necklace and the 360-degree earrings. So tell yes. us a little bit about how that design came together and what inspired you. Sure. Um, so how I came about the design was through resistance is how I like to describe it. Um, during my journey of developing my jewelry making skills, I had an instructor who I took several courses from, and she pointed out to me one day that I use a lot of circles in my um, work that I was doing. And my initial thinking was, well, I didn't really give it that much thought. I didn't think I did. Um, I just used what I had. And then, but when she said it, and I went home and thought about it after that, I looked around my home studio at the time and said, actually, you know, all of the jewelry pieces I wear have some aspect of the circle shape in them, and I do do that. 
But I resisted it because I thought the circle was a very simplistic symbol and a very easy way to approach jewelry. Um, and I didn't think that I wanted to be associated with something so easy because I didn't want people to think that, you know, I just took the easy way out and that was the simplest shape that I could start with. But the more I tried to move away from the circle and move into other shapes um, and orientations, what I started to realize a couple of things. One, it was really hard to move away from. Um, I kept coming back to it. But the other thing I started to understand was part of the reason I kept coming back to it was twofold. One, I have a very strong um, appreciation and love for architecture. And in just about every architectural form, in one way or another, the circle is represented, whether it's a doorknob or a, sim, a, a um, columnar form and a doorway, or whether it is a, a portal window. Um, the sh that shape is always there. And then I had also started to realize that that was about the time that I was starting to struggle in my corporate life and starting to realize um, that I wasn't as happy as I had been previously and starting to figure out where I needed to go. And I was feeling like I was moving in circles and I thought it meant I wasn't going anywhere. Um, and it wasn't until I started, I made the decision that I was going to transition into jewelry full time at some point that I started to realize that those circles that I found myself going in weren't fruitless. I was actually learning something each time, but sometimes it was so subtle that it was hard for me to see and realize it. Um, and so that's where the, so I stayed with the circle as a result of that and made a conscious decision in my first collection to use the circle. So that's where that comes from. Um, and then based on my love for architecture, architecture takes three-dimensional form. Um, and life takes a three-dimensional form. Um, very rarely is there just you know, the one side or the two sides, the front and the back to a particular situation. There's lots of different ways to look at it, and that's how we are as people. Um, and that adds to the, that complexity adds to the interest. And so that's why um, the first piece, the first collection um, consisted of hollow forms. And then lastly, the, the last and probably most important feature or inspiration behind my work is this concept of tactility. And tactility is really about the human need to touch and be touched, which has a lot to do with how we build relationships and which relationships with people become longer-term relationships and how we resonate with each other and how we demonstrate our feelings for each other. It's so interesting. There's so much more that lies underneath that whole meaning, what you just shared with us, not only from... Um, our homes and the architecture that surrounds us with the different forms being circular, but also the, the stages that we go through in life, like you just explained how 
how relevant and how interconnected your cycle of career choices and how it took you going in circles before you before you were ready to transition to doing something that truly makes you happy and that it ended up starting with a circle i think is a really beautiful it's it's a beautiful testimony to your journey so far thank you <laughs> yeah so one thing um you made a really interesting and useful, helpful post last week explaining what verme is. And there are a lot of different ways that metal is treated so that it looks like gold. And verme is is one of the best and the thickest ways to plate metal. And it also is one of the material selection and choices that you use. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about what how you choose what materials to use and um, kind of what direction you're going in with that. Sure. Um, so my, that's a little bit of where my engineering background plays into it, but also my personal point of view um, on objects and things that I buy and things that I allow into my life. Um, I look at everything as an investment, um, that whether it's my time or my money. Um, I want to put things into my life that are going to contribute positively. That doesn't mean it's always going to feel good when it's making that contribution because not all forms of growth feel good, but they're necessary. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right? But um, I, so because I look at things as an investment, um, the structure and the materials that I choose for my jewelry um, are very specific in terms of the thickness of the metal that I choose as well as um, choosing to use only precious metals with my work. Um, the other aspect of investment that's around that, which is part of the problem that I was trying to solve, was when I worked in corporate, um, amongst some of the junior executives, we always were frustrated um, and challenged with finding jewelry that allowed us to have um, some personal expression, um, but also carried with it the value and the importance without necessarily being flashy. Um, oftentimes where we bought our clothes, the jewelry that was being sold there was not precious metal jewelry, and in fact it wasn't really well um, um, uh, manufactured jewelry and didn't last very long, so it felt very wasteful to spend, but it was also very disappointing to be in, an, be in a store where you would spend three or $400 on a suit, but the jewelry that they sold was plated base metal that was very thin, um, that wasn't finished very well. And by finished very well, I mean those small things like the jump rings being soldered closed so, mm -hmm. that, if it's, so that it can't snag on something and come apart. 
um, or knotting between the pearls so that if the strand breaks, you don't lose them all. Um, those sorts of little details um, were behind it. And so I choose, uh, that's why I choose to work with precious metals because they reflect the investment of money. Um, the thickness of the metals reflects um, timeless time um, and the ability of, the, of what you're wearing to withstand time. Um, putting thought into what are we usually doing when we're wearing this jewelry um, and what is it subjected to and making sure that it's of a thickness that um, whatever we're subjecting it to throughout the day, it's not going to change its shape. It's not going to you know, get smashed if it gets closed in a door um, or those sorts of things. And so that's what played into the, the metals that I chose. Um, for the people. Okay, okay. Um, I love how you put that attention to your detail because those are things that people may not understand that with a base metal, which is, um, it's a mixture of metal alloys that do not mm -hmm. have any precious metal components in them. So a lot of times it might be a nickel-based metal or brass-based metal, and oftentimes those cannot withstand the heat of a torch to solder the jump rings closed. So like what Tanya was just talking about, when a jump ring catches that's not closed by soldering it closed, it can break or tear apart or snag your clothes, and it's really frustrating. So to know that you offer that difference is valuable to know, but also valuable to the piece of jewelry as well. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, explain to everybody what Vermeil actually is. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. um, so Vermeil is what I call the precious version of plating. And the reason that I refer to it that way is what underlies the gold is sterling silver. So you've maintained the precious integrity by combining the gold and the silver together as mm -hmm. opposed to plating the gold on top of a base metal that, like you described earlier. Mm -hmm. Sterling silver and gold are both precious metals. So those two things are being combined. The second thing um, that makes it um, really important and stand out differently from some of the others is it uh, um, very the thickness um, is much thicker than it is on most of the base metals, and that's because um, the thickness has a required minimum that is set by a government policy set by a government policy that's controlled by the Federal Trade Commission. So you cannot advertise something as Vermeil unless it has sterling silver as its base and the thickness of the gold that's applied to is at a minimum level. Um, okay. Now my work specifically actually goes to the maximum level that can be measured in the gold thickness because again, I'm thinking about timelessness, I'm thinking about investment and making sure that you can uh, manage your money well and manage the maintenance of your jewelry well um, and that you're not um, having to maintain it on a frequent basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That's that's excellent. And one thing that stands out to me too is that speaks to the thickness of the vermeil that you use and the quality of the materials is I don't feel like if it was a lesser thickness that you would be able to confidently add your grow grain pattern. Correct. Is it would right? not stand out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the, the texture is put on first and the texture, the thickness of the metal is important there because you have to have a certain depth of the texture in order for it to come through as clearly after it's been plated. So that's absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's perfect. I'm, I'm glad that we covered that because it's really important to know that there are varying thicknesses for the differing qualities of, of Vermeil materials and that you use the highest quality and the highest standard thickness. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about your, your jewelry line. So it's, um, it's circular and you have a variety of combinations with circles and pearls and circles with a, let's see, I think I saw, a, let's see, there's a flat white selection, an iridescent ink, and then a metallic peach. Tell us what mm -hmm. those are. And I'm looking at your mantle posted earrings in the 18 karat rose gold. What are the... Uh -huh. What are the components that are in the center that look like pearls? They are freshwater cultured pearls. Oh, they are. Okay. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. I use. I only use freshwater cultured pearls, Akoya pearls, or Tahitian pearls in my work. Again, um, managing the value of the investment that's being made in the work. Um, and what's, import, what's um, important there is the way that those pearls are farmed in terms of maintaining consistency in the thickness of the nacre, and the nacre is what forms the color over the top of the pearl mm -hmm. um, and the thickness of that so that it's not easily chipping. Um, when, if you accidentally, if it's a bracelet, if you accidentally hit it against your table or something like that, you don't have to worry about it chipping off. Mm -hmm. And so you've got some consistency there that you can count on and, and understand um, it's going to maintain its integrity and value. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. They, they're beautiful. They really are. They're very classic looking, but they're... Um, they're updated and modern looking, but still timeless. They're really pretty. Thank you. I, um, they're one of the more popular collections. What I'll also add about the pearls that a lot of um, people don't know because it hasn't been until recently that disclosures were required for pearls is that I do disclose on my website the treatments. Um, many people don't know that pearls are not naturally white, at least not the freshwater cultured pearls. Um, the, each color that I have um, that's um, shown on the sterling silver, that's actually a natural color. They're pinkish, peachish, uh, peachish 
and sometimes you can get a little bit of a, a mauve lilac kind of a color. Those are actually the natural colors. To get the white, they're bleached. And to get the peacock, which is the iridescent, and you'll see blues and greens and purples in there, those are dyed. Okay. That's good to know. So what made you decide and what's the story behind the grow grain texturing that you use? So that has to Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just interested. I love <laughs> texture. I love the way it feels. And I think um, to your speaking to your purpose of um, the what did you call it, the tactility of your jewelry, I think that's a really appealing feature to me, the, um, the texture. So I, I want to hear how that came about. Um, so in my interest in texture and my study of, of the human need to touch, one of the things um, I wanted my jewelry to be understood to be something that is a part of you and an expression of the individual um, and an expression of the personality. And part of what, what that made me think about was it's really no different than your clothing. Many of us, when we choose our clothing, it's not just about the color and it's not just about the brand. It's also about how the clothes feel on our skin and our brains tend to interpret that and transform that into how we feel about ourselves and how, and how we present ourselves. And so jewelry is just as close to the skin as clothing is. And so I took the textures that are associated with the different types of textiles and I came up with a process of layering different textures together to create the surface texture that is in my jewelry. I love it. It's so unique. Thank you. So what else would you like to share with us about your collections? I guess the other thing that I would share is the way that I designed the collection, kind of adding on to um, some of the things we talked about earlier. The 360, the 360 collection was the first, and following that collection was the grit, which is the pearl-oriented. But what you'll notice is consistent across there is the texture. And so there's two things that happen when I add new pieces to my collection. Um, first of all, I look at versatility because that's part of the investment. You want to make use of what you have and be able to extend and grow what you have. Um, and that's actually what um, my company name, Parur, means. It is the collection of jewelry that a person wears. And so I look at, the, at making sure that the pieces are interchangeable and can be worn um, together across collections, not necessarily every single piece, but for the most, most of the pieces across the collection, um, allowing for that versatility so that you see that I am conscious about the investment that you're making in my jewelry. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is that my collection is small um, intentionally from a design perspective because it gives me the opportunity and the time to get feedback. So new pieces that are added to the collection are done with the feedback in mind. Um, and when I, I only add pieces 
about twice a year. And so that's four to six pieces over the course of a year that's added to my collection, which is a very small number compared to um, other designers and much larger designers. And I do that to be able to take time to make sure a large enough um, sampling of people are able to see and touch the work and give me feedback on it. Um, and tell me what's working about it, what's not working about it, but also what they'd like to see added to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I factor all of that into the additional pieces that are, are selected. So it's intentionally kept small so that I make sure that it's a reflection of what my clients are interested in. Mm, um, the other thing that I would share is um, in 2020 I'm planning to add gems gemstones. Um, and so that will probably be the first um, new uh, separate collection, although there will probably be some integration um, between the two. But I'll be adding stones. And I'm doing that very consciously as well to make sure that I take, continue to take sustainability into account and relationships into account. So what I've done over the course of 2019 is um, a, identified stone cutters and tried to buy directly from the cutters themselves to ensure that they're being paid a fair price, um, but to also be able to get a sampling of the stones that they're cutting to understand where they're coming from, what their cutting practices are, and how much flexibility there is in those cutting practices mm -hmm. so that I can decide who are the right stone cutters to build relationships with so that I'm not buying stones from someone um, who's going to disappear or who doesn't have a deep enough network of uh, material resources to be able to continuously grow the line. More and more our customers and consumers in general are interested in that. They want to know where the materials are coming from and they want to know that they've been fairly and ethically sourced. So that you're going about this with that in mind and with that whole, you know, culture for your your business and, and just the direction of your collections is so smart. Thank you. Um, and the last thing I would leave you with is, is my third why I decided to go into jewelry and to create this collection was to build a sense of community amongst women. Um, I did, as I mentioned earlier, um, being in a corporate environment, um, we're still, although we're seeing an increase of women in the corporate environment, um, we're still usually spread out in the corporate environment, and we still have a lot of room to go in terms of growing our presence and growing our input in the corporate environment. And so I also wanted to use my jewelry to build a sense of community, um, a very supportive community. So as you go through my website and read the product descriptions, you'll see I'm coming from the perspective of um, thinking about how I felt in a corporate community when I needed support when I was doing my first big presentation in front of a senior VP. Mm -hmm. um, and you walk in there with, um, you're holding your best friend or your spouse's hand, and so my jewelry became that that source of support. 
um, almost like somebody you know twirls their hair in their hands I tended to grab and gravitate towards my jewelry when I um, was in those situations um, but the idea is you can't always build that sense of supportive community within the corporate environment sometimes um, you need to go outside of that environment so I also wanted my jewelry to serve as as a source of that and so as you know people see each other and um, walk down the street and see that piece of jewelry they not only recognize the designer but they recognize that person as somebody who's who's in a similar position to what they're in and what they're trying to accomplish in being ambitious in life whether that's in a corporate environment in an entrepreneurial environment or in a nonprofit environment ambition isn't limited to the corporate environment and so I wanted um, it to be a source of recognition um, in the community as well see I knew this I knew your collection went deeper <laughs> and <laughs> that you are nurturing a community like this and I'm seeing exactly what you're talking about I'm on your website and it's your 360 degree small pendant necklace in sterling silver your description is your gut is your compass don a 360 degree pendant put one foot in front of the other and be brave enough to say yes I mean mm -hmm. that just speaks for itself and you're so right about jewelry being that that grounding touchstone it does give us that comfort and knowing that it has a history or a meaning something really special to us whether we purchased it for ourselves or whether it was a gift it it's always something special to remind us that we can do it we're strong we're loved and it's just it brings the, the whole story of, of jewelry full circle absolutely so tell us about some of the events you have coming up in the next few weeks and mm -hmm. where we can find you December 5th 6th and 7th I will be in Chantilly Virginia at the Dulles Expo Center participating in the Sugarloaf Fine uh, Craft Festival and that will be my first time in that particular venue um, and I believe it's from 10 to 6 each day um, okay. and that's a Friday Saturday and a Sunday okay great and then where can people find you online and on social media so online you can find me at parour.com p-a-r-e-u-r-e -E. um, on Instagram I'm parour official on Facebook it's just parour um, as well as on Pinterest it's parour um, on both my website and on Instagram you can also book an appointment so although I won't have any other shows after the Chantilly Virginia show I do do appointments in my studio both for personal shopping as well as for custom orders and I'll be taking appointments for custom orders for delivery by December 25th through November the 29th so um, and you can book those online or send me an email and um, you can there's a way to send me an email both on Instagram and on my website or and my phone numbers are published there as well okay 
That's great. I love that option to be able to book an appointment with you. And it sounds like it's something that people could work with you in a remote kind of situation, like over FaceTime. FaceTime? Yeah, or a video appointment. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Tanya, thank you so much. I loved visiting with you, and I love how empowering your jewelry is, but it's still so very subtle and gracious, but it just has a beautiful strength behind all of the collections. And I can't wait to see how you process the upcoming feedback that you get from your collections, and I'm really looking forward to watching you grow. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to be on your podcast. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for, for coming on, especially in such a busy season. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you the best. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed hearing Tanya's story. I feel it's really inspirational and resonates with so many of us today who are exploring second and possibly third careers or turning a hobby into a career. And she had the fortitude and belief to continue and keep on designing and created a signature purpose that weaves through her community in the form of encouraging messages within her product descriptions. Her classically simple but meaningful circular designs seamlessly echo her tagline, be seen, be heard, be bold. You need to go check out her Instagram page and be sure if you're in the DC metro area, you can catch her at Chantilly, Virginia at the Holiday Sugarloaf Crafts Festival and that's December 6th through 8th. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be sure to stay tuned because I have some exciting episodes coming up. Keep watching my Instagram feed for what's coming up. Thanks so much. Make sure you cross check your sparkle. Talk to you later. Bye bye.